Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. Well, it's good to be in the house of God with you tonight. It's a real pleasure for me to be able to introduce my friend Paul Mason. Those of you who've been here longer than six months probably already know him. He's here. I think, Paul, is this your third time to preach here? I think it is. And uh, so he brought his bodyguard, his son Jules, with him. And uh, yeah, Joel said, since the last time I've seen him, he's gained about 20 pounds. And Joel, that's pretty good. You're looking good over there, baby. Why don't you stand up and let all the young single women take a look? That's it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Hallelujah. I want you to give a big, big hand to our friend coming all the way from Seguin, Texas. Hallelujah. Pastor Paul Mason. I'll say this, um, I've had, no joke, I've had numbness in my hands until about four nanoseconds ago, and I feel my fingers. Uh, I've gone to the chiropractor 12 times. He said there's nerve damage in my back. I used to be a high jumper back in the day, and uh, for the last three months, I haven't felt this, this. I felt these three fingers, but not this, until... I started praying for the, the lady that was right here. When I put my hand on your back, I felt my fingers for the first time in three months. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand for that. What uh, an amazing church, an amazing place. Thank you, Pastor Joe. They told me to come down here, so I was just being obedient and saying yes, sir, to uh, coming down here just to be on, on the level of, I believe the Lord wants to move. Here you are in the beginning of, of the week, and how many are believing you came ready for God to show up and show off. Uh, I hope that you came expecting. And uh, of course, I met uh, Pastor Joe and Nancy uh, Martin through Dr. Rob, uh, Ginger Carmen. How many remember, of course, Dr. Rob and his legacy and his, and his life. And when I met Pastor Joe and, and Nancy, I immediately knew these are lifers. <laughs> like you just get around them for a couple of seconds and it's like I felt like I've known them uh, all of my life. Uh, my wife and I, of course, my son Joel is is with us here uh, today, and uh, I just, you know, when you think about the staff and getting to know the pastors over the several, last several years, uh, if you've ever wondered how much God loves a church, all you have to do is just take a look at, just take a moment and check out the pastors and the staff and the leadership that's here, and uh, all I have to say is that God must really love Trinity a whole lot because y'all have some amazing pastors, and so can y'all give it up for Pastor Joe and Nancy and all the team? And uh, just awesome, awesome church, uh, genuine people and uh, real deal people and just same on the stage as off the stage. And uh, I just want you to know how much of a gift uh, they are to you. I know that you know that. He's uh, preached in our church. They're still talking about his sermon when he came to preach in our church last March. And uh, I said, He's already pastoring a church in Dallas, and so you can't have him. I know you want him here, but you're still talking about his sermon. It landed that strong on our people, and people were healed, and there were signs, wonders, and miracles as Pastor Joe came and ministered to our people, and uh, what a blessing it is just to hang out with them. They're some of our oversight pastors at our church, and what a blessing. I'm better because of you guys. Thank you guys for having me. It's what an honor to be here on uh, day two, I guess, of Presence Conference. And uh, I hope that you came uh, with a heart that's expecting 
uh, the Lord to move and show up and show off in the, in the house. I love me some presence conference. To those who don't know, here's a quick picture of my family, a family of five, the Mason. If you have a picture up there of... Of course, this is us. I think those are some fake mountains in the back or whatever. That's actually Gatlinburg. That's my wife of 21 years, Brooke. And, and then Jenna is my daughter. She's 13 and a half. And Joel, this was a couple of years ago. Joel had his long hair, and uh, he doesn't like pictures, uh, nor does he like us, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't know exactly what he's thinking there. He still doesn't like pictures, but he does like us now. So God's done a work in his life, and, uh, and he is single. And so if you want to date him. Anyhow, he loves Jesus now. But there, he doesn't look like he loves Jesus a whole lot, but I digress. And then, there's, uh, then we start all over again. I'm like Abraham and Sarah, and it's in the Bible. And so that's, uh, that's Liam. He's almost four years old. And so that's, uh, that's our tribe uh, there. And, of course, it's uh, two teenagers and a toddler. And so can you all just extend your hands towards me and my wife, uh, of course, and just... We need all the prayers that we can for energy, for, for patience, for, for wisdom, and, and all the rest, and all the gifts of the Spirit, and all of God's help uh, to do that. Let me kind of move this around a little bit. Am I... I'm so wired up, it's not going to take me long to, to get going. Do I need a little? All right. I probably messed up something. Okay. It's, it's my bad. All right, we're good. All right. <laughs> stop, stop the popping in Jesus' name. Okay. So we'll just go that. Let's, let's do that. Thank you, sir. All right. So we're ready to go with this. All right. I love me, I love me some presence conference. And, uh, and so I hope that you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and follow along on the screen behind me. And um, this is the title of my talk tonight. It would be around the subject of you're on the clock. You're on the clock. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. We'll just start there, but let's just pray and uh, get this thing going uh, tonight. God help in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen to that. Amen. Psalm 90, 12. Lord, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me read it one more time. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It was one Sunday after church service uh, a couple of years back, and uh, we, of course, after all of our services and things, we get into the car, and we get something quick to eat. And that particular day, I asked the family, I said, what do you guys want to, where do y'all want to go? And then there's let's get ready to rumble because there's five of us and there's all kinds of different opinions. And they said, we settled on chicken. Let's, let's go to some place. Of course, Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken. And, uh, but Sunday, you're out of luck on that. So, okay, we can't go there. Second option, we love KFC. We like uh, Canes. I don't know if you have Pastor Joe or Pastor Jeff, if you have Canes, but we, that's a go-to, but we go there all the time. Uh, then there's Popeye's. I'm from New Orleans originally, from South Louisiana, and so love that chicken for Popeye's, but we go there a lot. And so, anyway, it was unanimous. Hey, let's try the new place that nobody's ever gone to before, and it's called Bush's Chicken. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bush's 
uh, chicken, and so it's in about 15 minutes away from where our church is, and we can just kind of grab and go and then go back, and how many love to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon? So we get something quick, our family of five, and so we go there, we pull into the parking lot, we uh, get into the restaurant, and before we order, one of the things I noticed was every employee that was in there. We had never been to the this place before. And so every employee had t-shirts, S dot O dot U dot. And of course it piqued my curiosity. And I just, before I even ordered what I was going to order, I said, Hey, I said, what lady who was helping us behind the the counter? I said, what is that? So what is, what does that mean? That S O O you're pretty cool. Everybody's got the same shirts on and it must be something. And, and she goes, I'm so glad you asked. She said, well, we as a company, we, uh, when we punch in, we punch this, this clock. He says, we serve all of our customers with, a, with an S-O-U. And I said, well, what does that stand for? She goes, with a sense of urgency. I said, that's pretty cool. I said, I might need to talk to my leaders about that or my church about a sense of, of urgency. I think that's what the psalmist was saying. Lord, teach us to number our days. There's something about the clock, something about that we're on on the clock. A sense of urgency in how we carry our lives. I don't know if you're an NFL uh, person or not. How many love the NFL, the National Football League? Those are my people right there, all those who just raised their hand. Uh, how many don't care at all about the, how many only care when the Dallas Cowboys are doing pretty good? Um, I'm from New Orleans, so I love the Saints, but my dad was a huge Tony Dorsett and Roger Staubach fan, so then I became a Texas uh, fan and, of course, Dallas Cowboy fan. And if you know anything or you're familiar with the NFL, uh, there's, there's one day. There's a, a draft day. And this draft day is where these 32 NFL, all of them, NFL teams will come together, their organization, their best minds. And, and it's a pretty high-pressure type situation where they're going to try to make the best pick that they can, the best draft pick for their team. And they really need a lot of wisdom in that moment. And a lot of things can happen in 10 minutes because you got 10 minutes on the clock to do it. Of course, the NFL commissioner jumps up on the stage and he does this like he's been doing for many years. He says, the Dallas Cowboys, you are on the clock. And then there's a 10-minute countdown and then you have 10 minutes as it's counting down to zero to make the best pick possible that's either going to help your organization or break down uh, your organization for the future. And then they'll jump back up there and it'll turn to zero, of course, and the guy will get up and say, the New Orleans Saints, you're now on the clock. And you got 10 minutes to make a wise choice or an unwise choice, and it can affect some things. I think that's what the psalmist is saying. I think he's saying we're, we're on the clock. Teach us, Lord, to, to number our, our days. Give us wisdom, Lord, in the days that we live in. In the book of Jude, there's a, a man, probably one of my favorite character sketches in all the Bible. His name is Enoch. How many love Enoch in the Bible? And Jude mentions Enoch. Enoch's only mentioned three times in the scriptures. The last time he's mentioned is in Jude, which is towards the back of your Bible. And he's mentioned in Hebrews. He's mentioned in Genesis is the first time that you see him. And you see in those three places where he's mentioned, he's walking with God. In Hebrews, he's well-pleasing to God. In Jude, he's a witness for God. It just kind of encapsulates his, his life. Enoch was, was on the clock. 
Enoch, the first time that you see him, how he lived his, his life. In fact, he lived in a godless generation, a culture, but spoke the name and the fame of God in his culture, prophesied that to his culture. It resonated with folks. Of course, the first time that you pick up his life in Genesis, he's, there's a list of names and numbers. And of course, Adam, he lived 930 years, and Seth lived 912 years, and Jared lived 962 years. And then you got down the list, Enoch shows up. Genesis chapter 5 in your Bible, just a couple of verses about him, just to kind of get this thing started. He's only 365. Only 365 years. I don't know if the dude was a smoker or he got gypped or is a donut eater. I don't know. A lot of Bush's chicken. I don't know what his deal was. But here's what it says about the life of Enoch on the clock, how he lived a legacy and made a difference and made his life count while he lived a, a short life from a biblical standpoint. Notice Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch was 65 years old. So notice, 65 years old, he's living for himself without God. And then he fathers Methuselah. He has a kid. I don't know if that was the game changer. Call it kid fluence. A lot of people don't live for God, and then you have a kid, and then you go to church. I don't know exactly if that's what happened, but something shifted. 65 years of living for himself. Of course, he had a kid, then he had a, another kid and, and more kids, and then he's at the top of the stack, so he's got to be a business leader. He's got to provide for all these kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-great-grandkids, and all these people. And so after that, all we know is that 65 years, he's trying to make it happen on his own. He has a kid, and something changes. And notice it says in verse 22, after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch started walking with God. Maybe that was the difference maker. And he walks with God for 300 years, 24-7, and fathered many other, a whole city came out of this guy, sons and daughters. And, and notice it says in verse 23, so Enoch's life just lasted, he was like a teenager back then. Like he's in adolescence if he's 365 and he goes to be with Jesus. And so, but Enoch, what does he do? He walks with God. 300 years he's faithful to God, consistent with God. And then he was not there because God took him. Interesting. God just drafted him. God just took him, like picked him. Number one draft pick, like literally picked him up. And you never see this anywhere else in the Bible where it says God took him. You don't use that kind of, you don't see that kind of language or, or phraseology in the Bible, except for right here in this one, one verse. Usually when we talk about people who are going through a grieving season, maybe they've lost a, a loved one, they say, well, the Lord took him or the Lord took her. We use that in our culture today, but when we're seeing this in verse 24, when God takes him, there's not death involved. It's just, it's just one moment, like tonight, just one night, one moment, maybe one, I don't know what this looked like. I can speculate a little bit. It's just one conversation with God and one moment, maybe a devotional setting Maybe a prayer time or a worship, maybe in that moment while he's just walking with God. He's been walking with God for hundreds of years, but on the day that God takes him, God, you're altogether lovely. 
God, you're altogether worthy. And there's probably some back and forth. I love you too. You're my son. You've been walking faithfully with me, closely to me, in contact with me, in communion with me. And could it be that the Lord just said, you're just so pleasing me. You're so walking with me. And God just swooped down out of heaven down to earth and squeezed him right out of time and space, right into eternity. Just maybe hugged him a little bit too hard that day. That's what Hebrews says. He was so well-pleasing to God that God just took him, squeezed him, hugged him, said, why don't you come on up to be with me? And probably Enoch is standing there saying, whoa. And God's like, oh, Nothing takes him by surprise, but like you got all these kids and grandkids and all the people that you need to go back down. I'm not going anywhere. This is what I've lived for. Could it have been that there was like a thin tissue paper that on this side of heaven that as he's walking with God, he just, there wasn't a big gap between earth and heaven. He was walking so closely to the Lord that he just kind of peeled back the tissue paper and said, as I was saying, Lord, on this side of eternity. Can we live that close to God? Where we're walking with God that denotes walking to God, walking closer to God? Lord, as I was saying, let me just continue my prayer, continue my communion with you. And the Lord took him. And we see in the back of the book, Jude, we see how he picks up his life and how he prophesied. He was the seventh down from Adam generationally. And this is where we'll kind of camp around some thoughts tonight. Jude, it's only it's a skinny little chapter. It's, I mean, it'll take you three minutes to read it. But verse 17, let's hone in on this through 25. It mentions Enoch's life and how we can live like Enoch and finish well like Enoch finished well and left a legacy of righteousness behind. But notice where Jude picks up on how it's supposed to land on our lives. He says, but you, dear friends... I want, to be, I want you to be a dear one to me, a dear friend of God. Remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. And these people create divisions in our worldly not having the spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. How many are happy you're on your way to heaven? <laughs> and that's not a passive thing. That's like, and we are eagerly looking for him to show up. And have mercy on those, verse 22, on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on, on others. He says, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, verse 24, it says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time now and forever, and Jude was so fired up in what he was writing about, he just amened himself. Everybody said amen for the reading of God's word tonight. You know, um, children often, when they come back home from a recital, ballet, or a dance, or a ball game, 
or whatever it might be, when they come home, they often ask, hey, mom and dad, how'd I do? Maybe if you have kids or grandkids, you've gone to some of those plays and theaters, and they come back and they ask those, those questions. In fact, my, my daughter, Jenna, she plays the keyboard for us on our worship team on, on Sunday morning, and, and so she did our Christmas services, and she did yesterday services, and she was pretty nervous about it, and so she was singing, and she was playing the keys with our worship team, and so we get in the car, and she goes, hey, mom, dad, how'd I do? My son, Joel, he plays drums for our, our worship team, and then he also plays drums for his school. And so he goes out on the football field, and, and uh, they're awesome. I mean, they go to the Alamo Dome. They go to state every year and all these kind of things. And so while he's out on the – it's just the job description of a dad. I mean, we're out there. There's thousands of people that are there. It's a packed stadium, and he's out there playing the tenors. So he's on the five tenors, and he's in the middle of the field. And as soon as they perform, I'm like, Joel! You were awesome. Look at my eyes. <laughs> it's just what we do. And it embarrasses him. And the more he's embarrassed, the more I love it. And it eggs me on and I get louder as a dad. And, and he's like, no, I don't want to hear that. And then we get into the car. And then when he sits down in the car, the first thing, now he's not embarrassed now. Now he's like, hey, dad, did you video it? Did you get some pictures? Let me see the video. Hey, Dad, just between me and you, don't tell my friends or anything, but hey, how, how, did, I, how did I do? My, my mama had a classic approach. So Papa and Mama would go, go and see me play sports way back in the day. And, and so uh, they, when they showed up after the game was over, like it was a huge hug. And it was like, Paul, you did amazing I don't think I deserved any of the things that she said, but like she, Mama was like pouring crazy amounts of praise. Like you were, um, you did an incredible job, Paul. You were the you were the best one on the whole team. <laughs> and she's pouring it on, and I'm loving it. And I'm like, one of my gifts is affirmation. So she's like pouring, encouraging me in that moment, and. And, uh, and then she, all of a sudden her face gets just changes and just gets stern. And she changes and she says, now don't let it go to your head. Don't get puffed up with pride. You, you think about these, these moments like this where we're asking, how did I do? In fact, every Sunday, just kind of just be confessions of a pastor. And so every Sunday, I've been in the ministry for 25 years and I think every Sunday that we have our services that I've preached and we get in the car and then I turn to my wife. Of course, my two high gifts are affirmation and affection. So I basically want Brooke to touch me a lot and tell me I'm awesome and then touch me more. And so anyway, so I sit down and she says nothing. And so I don't know why I always have to start the conversation because it's been this way for many years. And I say something to the effect of, hey, Brooke, how, how do you think it went? How did I do? And she goes, it was good. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> like, that's all, you, that's all you got? She goes, I've heard better. 
like, what in the world? Don't you know I prepared and I prayed? The man of God, like I was studying and just to get ready for this whole thing. And, and that's all. She goes, I'm just here to keep you humble. I'm like, you're doing fantastic at that. that that's, your, that's your gift. But I think there's something in all of us that there's a deep impulse. There's a childlike instinct that we want to know from Father God, how did I do? The words of every believer, the moment we cross the finish line of life, I think that we ask God, in a sense, how did I do? I think every Christian that's ever lived in the last 2,000 years who dies in Christ wants to hear above anything else two words, and what are those two words? Well done, you did, you did well. And up until this point in Jude and what we just read, Jude doesn't sound a whole lot like Momo. It's not super encouraging. Jude hasn't had his coffee. He's got a Thor hammer. He's as subtle as a flying mallet. This guy is direct. He's got a Jewish audience. He's going after some folks, and he's not Captain Nuance by any stretch of the imagination. He's going to quick hit a list. He's going to do a speed round of people and list of people and groups of, of people that were, hear me, that were associated with God, in proximity with God, up under the blessing of God, and then he'll name them like angels and those who came out of Egypt and the sons of Korah and on and on and on, Cain, those who had access to God, they came to church in their Sunday best, and yet, listen, they, they didn't remain in God and they didn't go the distance with God. It gets worse. What makes it more uncomfortable is that Jude, in his one chapter, he says, they all perished. He uses language like they were destroyed by God. That sounds like a heavy metal band. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's Friday the 13th kind of haunting images that Jude paints around those who are around church, churchianity, but they never came into Christ. They're in and around up under the word of God, and yet they did not remain strong all the way to the end. They didn't crash through the tape and finish well. It gets worse. I know that's bad grammar, but play along with me. He goes on to talk about false teachers, fake news Jews, and pretenders. He talks about how they're hidden clouds. They're hidden reefs. They're fruitless trees. They look alive on the outside, but they're hollow and dead on the inside. It gets more worser. He goes on to talk about kindling fire and eternal destruction, dark themes like chains and everlasting final judgment. And here we are as Christians, and I just want to, we just want to make it to the finish line and want some sort of firm assurance that we'll go the distance. But Jude spends a lot of his time talking about those who did not finish well. Let me tell you about this group of people. Drop like flies. Let me tell you about this group of people. They went to church on Sunday, and yet they went up in flames. Let me tell you about this group of people over here. Bang, 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 bang. They died in the wilderness. Bang, bang, bang. All these different things, and he's going after them. And here's the bottom line with Jude. He's going after them, those who did not make it to the end, and almost leaves the believer wondering, hello, am I going to make it to the end? These were churchy people. 
Will I have any kind of assurance? And the reason why I ask myself the question, or maybe you ask yourself that question here today, is that Jude keeps telling the same kind of story. It's the same kind of narrative over and over. A lot of people don't make it, and yet we come, here's the good news, we come to the very end of Jude's letter, and twice Jude dropped two words in rapid succession that has lifted the souls of believers for the last 2,000 years, and the words are these, but you. All those other people aren't going to make it, but you're not going to be like all those other people. But you're different, Trinity, living waters. There's something about you. Verse 17, he says, but you, and he says it twice, but you, dear friends, Enoch was a friend, but you, dear ones, you beloved ones, but you, you're not destined for final judgment. You're going to make it all the way to the end, and here's how you're going to do it. Amongst all of the haunting images, Jude says you're going to make it. Let me give you three ways on how you can crash through the finish line and make it all the way through. You're going to have an act of faith, number one. And Jude gives some clear things on what we're supposed to do in order to have an active faith. Remember what Jesus and the apostles taught you. Contend earnestly for the truth of God on planet Earth. Our young people in our youth group on Wednesday night are telling us, and they're saying about their friends, and then I've been reading some things as it relates to youth groups in America today that are saying, this is not a time that we want anything else besides the truth. Don't give us fluff. Put meat on our bones. Give us the Bible. Give us the truth. Give us something in our generation. It's so shaky. It's so, the times that we're living in are so confusing. We need to hold fast to the truth. How many know that's not just for young people, that's for adults as well? We need the Bible. To steady us, it makes Christians strong in unsteady times. And then Jude goes on to say, don't just contend for the truth of God's word in the earth today. He says, keep yourself hot with God. Don't be like Netflix loading, like you're lagging behind God. Like stay up to date with God. <laughs> like keep yourself in the love of God. And how are you going to do that? He gives us three commands. Build, pray, and wait. Building Yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, expectantly for him to split the air and for us to go up to be up with him forever and ever. Build yourself, wait on God, and pray in the Holy Spirit. How do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? I'm glad you asked that question tonight. You can't do it without the big three. You cannot grow without the big three. Every day you need God's ear. God's voice and God's people. We talk to God through prayer. That's how you do it. We hear God speak to us. His voice speaks to us through the Bible. And we need a deep community of people. How many know you're not supposed to do life alone? We need each other. That's how we fuel our active faith. You cannot grow without those big three inconsistent and continual rotation in what makes Christians strong in these unstable days. Where there is real relationship, there's real 
communication. So in 1998, I became a youth pastor for the first time in South Louisiana, in Plottenville, Louisiana, which was right where the swamp people, where that show, the swamp people, chewed them, like Troy, like the, the alligators and stuff, turtles. And all right, so th- some of those people on that show would get in their canoes and their pirogs and paddle to the shore and get out of their boats and walk to our church. And so they'd walk to our church, and there's 200 people in our church, and probably 95% of them spoke total Cajun French. So I was a youth pastor there for four years, and I'm on the prayer team, and I have no idea what people are asking for, any kind of prayer needs, because it's all in French. It was wild. And so there was a guy by the name of Mr. Clive. He was a tractor farmer, sugarcane tractor farmer, and he was about 85 years old, and he did everything on this tractor. He sat and ate lunch on this tractor. He ate breakfast in the tractor, and he spoke, of course, all French. And I remember getting introduced to Mr. Clive for the first time, and he said to me, he said, hi, I'm Mr. Clive, and I said, hi, I'm Paul, and he says, it's nice to meet you. And that was the last time I heard English words out of the guy for the next four years. And so, anyway... Then I found out a little bit later that this is pretty crazy. Clive's got a twin brother who's a tractor farmer who's 85, and his name is Cleve. Like, I can't make this stuff up. So there's, there's Clive and there's Cleve. And then I found out a little bit later that Clive, I don't know what happened, what kind of icky or whatever, but Clive has not talked to Cleve his twin brother, in 40 years. And when I heard that, I was like, man, you're, I got a younger, he's not a twin brother, but a younger brother, two years younger than me. How do you go 40 years without talking to your brother? Your love will grow cold in that kind of radio silence, right? That's what Jude was talking about. Your love will not be hot. The test of genuine relationship with God is real communication with God, hearing from him, his voice, getting his ear, and being around God's people every single day. That's how we do it. How do you go the distance you have an active faith? Number two, Jude talks about in verse 22 and 23, he says, you need a deep community. The final three commands that he gives to us, he says, mercy, save have mercy. It's kind of like this. Um, in fact, let me just read it. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. It's like this mercy po'boy going on. Like you spread mercy on one side of the bread and mercy on the other side of the bread, and you got a whole lot of salvation in the middle. Isn't that what church community is supposed to look like? Mercy on one side, mercy on the other side, and a whole lot of deep community. That's what fellowship, the local church, is supposed to feel like. What's going on here? There's people that are wavering. There's people that are battling. There's people who are toppling towards error in Jude's day, in our day. People who are despairing, those that are on shaky ground. 
those that are struggling in their faith. And Jude says, have mercy on those who haven't grasped the truth yet. Have mercy on them. Don't shame them out of their doubt. Don't lecture them out of their doubt. Don't say shame on you. Don't say, bad boy, bad boy, what you're going to do. For those who have been in church, like the claims of God, the claims of the gospel, the claims of the Bible sometimes come easier for us. But it doesn't come easy for everybody. There are those who are cynical. Those that are wrestling in their faith. they got some real questions about the claims of the gospel. And what is Jude saying? Have mercy. Be patient. Through patient friendship, snatch them. Save them. In other words, hold space for those in struggle. Hold space for those that are on the journey, those that are toppling towards cynicism or doubting their God. Help them. Reach out. Extend aid and assistance towards them. I know it's hard, but keep believing in people. Keep cheering on people. We're called to do life with each other. We need the local church not less in these days. We need the local church more in these days as we see the day approaching. Can I hear a good amen to that? That's what we need. Make our life count. How do we make it all the way to the end? Through an act of faith, through a deep community of believers. And here's my favorite part. Number three, a Godward confidence. A Godward confidence. We come all the way to the end of the book of Jude and And after reading about the fire and the fear and the chains and people dropping like flies, and those that are not making it all the way to the end, Jude says these two words, but you. But you, dear ones. You're going to persevere all the way to the end. And how is that going to happen? He tells us, verse 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And my heart just sings when I hear those two verses. My heart soars when I hear, it's not on me, (laughs) to him who's able He's going to power me all the way through the pressing through of the tape at the end of my story. It's his story. And he's going to keep me from stumbling. Will I stumble? But ultimately, I'm not going to stumble because it's not on my strength. It's to him who is able. And I'm going to fall along the way, and you're going to fall along the way, but not ultimately fall because now to him who is able. Able, he's going to power me all the way through to the end. But you, dear ones, you're going to make it all the way through into his throne room. The renowned New Testament scholar D.A. Carson was paying tribute to his own father, Tom Carson, at a funeral in 1992, and he remarked about his dad's legacy. And he talked about his godly life, and he talked about his contentment with little. His love for the lost, his tireless energy that he spent pastoring his small church. And here's what D.A. Carson said, looking over the body of his dad. Quote, when dad died, there were no crowds outside the hospital. No notice in the papers. No announcements on the TV. No mention in parliament. 
and no notice in the nation. In his hospital room, there was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because dad had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, but on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. <laughs> and dad won admittance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man, but because he was a forgiven man. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah in this room. On the other side, on the other side, through the thin tissue paper, all of the trumpets sounded. And all of us will come to the end of this life and want some sort of assessment. I know I'll want that, some sort of evaluation from Father God of the only thing that ultimately matters. How did I do? I don't know if you know my story. I don't know, Pastor Joe, if I've ever shared some of my story here. I won't share it all, but this is my story when I was 14 years old. My dad, of course, was pastoring a church in in New Orleans, it was a Palm Sunday morning in 1988. All of our family was on the worship team. I was on the drums. Mom was on the keyboard. Lori, my older sister, was a singer. And my brother was playing the piano on the other side of the stage. Mom was 39. Dad was 45. And in the middle of his sermon on a Sunday morning, he just he stepped off of the, the platform. Our whole family sat right there where Pastor Robert is. And he fell face first and had a massive heart attack in front of our family and in front of the whole church. And it was wild as far as to be in a church service that was, you talk about people screaming and praying in the spirit and praying for him to be raised from the dead. It was traumatic. An elder jumped on me and my younger brother just to cover us from all the people that were crying that day. I mean, yelling, just bellowing out to, to God and not knowing what was going on. It was, it was chaotic, to say the least. And I think about that, that morning, and then I think about the last sermon that he preached was the week before. And just the providence of God on how all this works, I can't figure it all out, but I know it was the hand of God. But the Sunday before, he was preaching on, y'all remember the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? The other guy in the Bible who didn't die, God just draft-picked him as well, just picked him up. And Dad's preaching, Bill Mason, he's preaching on that story. And in the middle of his sermon the Sunday before, he said, wow, Elijah got picked up in a whirlwind and... What a way to go. If I were, this is what he says, if I were to pick a way to go with God, pleasing him and loving pastoring and preaching the gospel and loving my church, that's the way that I would want to go. I would pick no other way than just preaching the gospel and all of a sudden God were just to take me. Nothing would please my heart more than that. In fact, and this is what he says. Bill Mason says this, my dad. He says, if you have to carry me out of here boots first, that's the way I want to go. 
Y'all know the story. Of course, Elijah said, if you see me when I go, you'll get a double portion of my spirit. In fact, the Wednesday after my dad passed away, we had a packed house for a Wednesday night service. And Walt Parker was our worship pastor, and he got up and he goes, I was a spiritual son to Bill Mason. He took me in. He discipled me. He was a spiritual father to me. Like Elisha looked to Elijah, Shah, and Jah, and looked to him as a spiritual father. He says, he was, Bill Mason was my spiritual father. And this family, the Mason family on that front row, can we just all stand up? It was totally spontaneous. Can we all stand up right now and just stretch our hands towards, extend our hands towards the Mason family and pray for, because the Mason family saw their dad when he went. So if they saw, and they did, they saw their dad when he went to go be with Jesus, doing the thing that he loved the most, preaching the gospel, let's pray for a double portion of God's spirit on the Mason tribe. To which we said, yes, Jesus, we received that. We're five generations in the ministry. On any given Sunday, all of my family, it wasn't a limiting thing. The devil wanted to limit us, but God launched us. And all of us are pastoring, senior pastoring churches all across America. I'm not saying five generations is like some sort of like extraordinary blessing or whatever. I'm probably more dysfunctional than you guys are. I'm just saying there's a generational blessing on what God does and when we honor his word. And that was the word that day, the prophetic word that came out of Walt Parker that day. I was thinking about how dad wanted to go the way that he wanted to go. And that's how God picked him up. And he was, Bill Mason was no more. So there was a doctor that was in the sanctuary and he came running up and like opened up my dad's shirt and began to start doing CPR. But it was a little tough for him to do CPR because my dad was praying in the Holy Spirit. But his eyes were closed. And he had a smile on his face and a tear in his eye and Rich McConnell said, Bill Mason, wake up. And he's totally unconscious but praying in the Holy Spirit. He says, I can't tell you, there was just extraordinary joy in that moment. He was seeing something else. He was somewhere else. He was in the presence of God, and we couldn't wake him up. But the next time he opened up his eyes, he was in the face of Jesus Christ. He closed his eyes on earth and opened his eyes in heaven and said, as I was saying, Lord. So my son, Joel, about a year ago, was going through a battle. I told him I'd share this story, so it's not a shocker. I said, is it okay, Joel? He said, yeah. He was dating a girl. Here's his first girlfriend. She was a nice girl. She wasn't a Jesus girl. She was cray-cray. <laughs> Joel's bringing her to church. Joel was distracted. He was honest about it. He got off a little bit. Brought her to church. And last Valentine's Day, in fact, two days before Valentine's Day, he brought her to church, and she was indifferent. She was disengaged like she normally was. And our kids' pastor spoke in our youth meeting that night, Pastor Tim, and something got a hold of Joel that night, and he got spiritually nuked. And they're on the back row, and Joel gets up. He's the first one to go down and God did a work in his heart. It was a transformational 
it was a mass Damascus Road experience is what happened. I didn't know this was happening. I'm teaching in the other venue. I go home. Joel's got his wheels. He comes to the house, and when he walked in, he's got tears in his eyes, and I knew immediately. And I said, what happened? And he goes, I broke it off. He said, it was pretty traumatic. It was pretty dramatic. I mean, she went off on me and this whole kind of thing. And he said, but I knew, Dad. In fact, he hugged me. He says, I'm never going back to the world. I'm not going back to her. I'm not going back to the world. God's got my life. So, so we hugged right there in the kitchen. Right, Joel? And I thought he was stalling because he had to go to school the next day. I go back, I take a shower, I'm in the master bedroom. And then Joel comes in, he's like, hey, can we talk? And I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, Dad, um, do you have any sermons by Papa Bill? I've never heard his voice. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, that's, he said, I'd love to listen to, to one of his sermons. And I said, yeah, that's, that's easy. So we walk into the, my master bathroom, into the closet area where the clothes are. And on the floor, uh, there's hundreds of tapes, cassettes of Bill Mason preaching sermons. And I said, which one do you want to listen to? He goes, how about the last one? The last one that he ever preached. And I said, okay. And I said, well, he said, in fact, how do you, <laughs> how do you, uh, listen to those tapes. <laughs> I said, well, that's simple. It's a, it's a, it's a Walkman. That's, that's a Walkman to those who are under 35 years old in the room. And he said, okay, well, how does that work? And I said, well, you just put the tape cassette in there. And, and uh, he said, well, just play track one. I said, it's not a CD player. It's a, it's a Walkman. And, uh, of course, he said, well, where's the rewind button? I said, there's not a, you got to flip the thing over. And, and he goes, oh, man, okay, well, whatever. And so I grabbed, found the one that was the last one, and I put it in, and we figured out a way to, to listen to it and put the sound up as high as it could go. And we went back into and just sat on the base of the bed. And we listened to my dad preach his last sermon. And this is it. This is the last sermon. This one. Calvary Temple Tape Ministry, 6056 Pontchartrain Boulevard, New Orleans, Louisiana. Pastor Mason, 327, 1988. And we listened to this sermon, which is actually his last sermon. And we sat there and we wept. I listened to it one time before. And when I listened to it before, and it had been so many years... I remember how the mic popped because his lapel mic was right here on his tie and he fell face first. And the end of the sermon went, Poof! He didn't know that. He didn't know how long the sermon was, but I told him and I put it on a timer. So while we're listening to, Joel and I are at the base of the bed. And I said, hey, it's 21 minutes long. And so we're listening 
And he's talking about how we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, no matter what trials and devastation and grief that you've gone through, we're overcomers in Christ Jesus. That was his last sermon. Almighty God. And I turned to Joel and I said, hey, Joel, I'm looking at my clock. I said, he's got 12 minutes left. He's got 10 minutes left. He doesn't even know that he's on the clock. He's got eight minutes left, Joel. Six minutes. Five-minute countdown. He's got two minutes left. 30 seconds, and he's about to step over and see Jesus. And he has no clue that he's on the clock. But we do. We know he's on the clock, and he has no clue that he's on the clock. And he's on the clock, and he's pleasing God and pastoring that church and preaching his guts out in 21 minutes, and he's got 15 seconds left. 14, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, boom! And you heard the microphone. And the last two words that he said was, God heals. And God did heal. God healed everything that he went through physically in one moment. He was in the face and the presence of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, when we come to the end of our life, you're on the clock. We'll want some kind of assessment or some kind of evaluation from Father God. And we will all stand there blameless on the unblemished record of Jesus Christ. And you'll make it all the way to the end and crash through the finish line because you are marked by his mercy. By looking to the one and the only one who could pull it off that carries you across the finish line and standing before the majesty of God in heaven at his throne room for the only thing that ultimately matters, you're on the clock and you don't even know it. But I hope it grips your spirit and you own it in your heart here tonight that you just don't have that much time. But all of us can just peel back the thin tissue paper and say, God, how did I do? To hear the words, well done. Bill Mason, you killed it. Elijah, you, you crushed it. Enoch, you were on the clock. You absolutely killed it. Bill Mason, you killed it. All of us want to hear, well done, not undone, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I hear a good amen to that? That's what we're after. That's what ultimately matters is to stand there in his presence now to him, not because of anything that we've done, not because we're a good man or a great man, but because we're forgiven men and women of Jesus Christ. We'll stand there. And on the other side, all of the trumpets will sound. And there will be an eruption of joy. You're God's draft pick. He picked you. He's taking you. I believe you can actually be a Christian and not be taken by God. You can have a belief in God but not actually be taken by God. But to whoever actually gets taken by God, you get blessed by God. You get used by God. And now is the time. Now's the time to make it count. Now's the time to haul off and go for it. 
Now's the time to take a risk. Now's the time to do something extraordinary for Jesus Christ. Now's the time. Don't wait another moment. Now's the time to have a testimony. And if you have a testimony, tell everybody that you know and anybody that you know that you have a testimony of how faithful God is. What's your testimony? He walked with God. He was well-pleasing to God. He witnessed for God. I got saved at 5. I got baptized at 12. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 14. I got called to ministry at 20. Went to Bible college and got in the ministry at 24. 5, 12, 14, 20, 24. What's your numbers? Come on, what's your numbers, man? Everybody's got a number, right? You can get a number and a next. Can you please not be a decent Christian or a domesticated one? Can you get out of the freaking box and be a dangerous Christian and get on mission and stop living boring for Christ? A faith that lives, a faith that shines and even so shines not just in the church but in your city and around the world come on we stand up all over the room everybody standing with us can you just point your hands towards heaven in the name of Jesus come on you're on the clock let's just get our faith heavenward in the name of Jesus get your chin up towards heaven hands towards heaven it's not maybe now is the time, prophetically right now. It's, it's now is the time. You're on the clock right now. There's got to be some sense of, of urgency that takes a hold of your spirit at some point. This is what Presence Conference is all about. When Jesus is here, anything can happen. There's no substitute for the presence of God. He fuels you. He fills you with his power. He's a global God. He wants you to start loving locally, reaching regionally, going globally. Get your passport, man. Every Christian's supposed to have one. Go on mission. That's what makes the faith journey so exhilarating. You bored? God's got a mission. He's got a purpose for you. That's what his presence fuels is a purpose. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We're on the clock. It's not maybe or possibly or potentially it's time. It's, it is time right now. It's time. It's time. It's time to get your next number, whatever that is. Everybody's got a next. I'm 49. There's a next for me. It's, it's not over. I haven't arrived. Nowhere close. Christ Jesus is still apprehending me. He's still grabbing a hold of me. He's still tracking me down. He's still pursuing me. Thank God for his mercy. He keeps on chasing me over and over again. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. From generation to generation, five generations, Deuteronomy talks about to a thousand generations, Lord, show off your hand and your mighty works in our family. Start with us, God, tonight.
you shifted something. He was 65 and you shifted something. There was a next. He was 65 and there was a next. Help us, Lord. It's time. It's time to become the devil's nightmare. It's time to start serving. It's time to start giving. It's time to not live on the peripheral. It's time for you to get in the paint. It's time for Jesus to get in the center of your marriage. It's time for you to go deep community with your local church here at Trinity. It's time for you to start honoring your pastor and saying, hey, I'm reporting for duty. I'm squaring my shoulders back. Yes, sir. What do you want me to do? Whatever it takes, I'll do it with joy. It's time for you to get discipled. It's time for you not to know it all. It's time for you not to be an expert. It's time for you to be a lifelong learner, to humble yourself, repent before Almighty God and say, God, there's still breath in my lungs. I breathe 28,000 times today, so I'm not done yet, and you're not done with my life yet. It's time to make hell nervous. It's time for you to know that you're on the clock, that you're God's number one draft pick. I want you to just move out of your seats right now. Just Let's just move towards the front, just like Joel did. He just said, you know what, God, I'm going for it. <laughs> let's, just, let's just move up towards the front. Let's get close to the Lord tonight. We sang the song, Nothing Else Matters. That's your prayer. The Lord is often, and the way He talks to me is, Paul, if you never preach another sermon again, is that really like nothing else matters? Like just to be in God's presence? He'll bring you, He'll break you down, He'll bring you to a place where there's nothing else, He'll strip it all away. It's all about the ministry. It's all about the mission. It's all about what I'm supposed to... Yes, there is a purpose, but it comes right back down to abiding. Abiding in His presence. Bearing fruit, and even more fruit, and even John 15 says even much fruit. But even before we get to all of that, just like Enoch and God out in the field one day, just, Lord, you're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy great is your faithfulness. I love you, Jesus. If you never give me another kid, another, another grandkid, another business opportunity, doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. You never give me another preaching opportunity. You never allow me to do another sermon. You never allow me to sing another song. Doesn't matter. It just comes right back down to, God, you picked me. Some of us here might need to remind ourselves of, in fact, that's what Jude said. Remember, going back to the place where you were aglow in God, the beginning moments where mercy first started and grace first started, some of us might need to return to that place of saying, I need to get reignited in just simply my passion for Jesus. How many would say that? You just raise your hand and say, I just need to go back to that place. Where was that place? That place where I was five years old, that place where I was 12 years old. Where's that, where's that place? on the end of a boat dock. Maybe it was in a living room. Maybe it was at a church service where God nuked you. He ignited you. 
And it wasn't about what you were going to do. It was about, Lord, I just am in love with you right now. I'm just like Mary. I'm just sitting at, is there a Martha needed? Absolutely. But right now in this moment, I'm just sitting, God, in your presence. And Jesus says over your life with that great rewarding sound that comes out of his mouth, she's chosen the best part. The other part's needed, but choosing the best part. God, help us to come back to your feet. Come on, why don't we just say this, Jesus? I love you. You claim me as your own. I'm your child. Ignite me with your passion again. Let me return to my first love. I abide in your presence. I want to breathe your presence. I want to live in your presence. There's nothing else like it. And nothing else matters. Now help me to live for your glory. Use my life to spread the name and the fame of Jesus in my world. I'm willing, God. I'm obedient, God. Here I am, Lord. And I make this new commitment in the beginning of this year. I'm yours. I'm all yours. And all my chips are in for Jesus. I love you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said an amen to that. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand all over the world. Hey, keep changing the world, Trinity. Come on, you can do better than that. That's amazing. Wasn't that amazing? Here's my promise. You'll come every night this week. This is the kind of food you're going to get. You won't be disappointed. You will be so charged by the end of the week and so excited about what God's doing in your life personally. It is going to overflow your friends, your classmates, your employer, the folks that you work with, your kids. I mean, it's just going to be an overflow. So I'm so grateful tonight to get this kind of word, you know, from my life and for us and for our church. I mean, it's just powerful. Pastor Paul. Thank you. Amazing job, man. Fantastic. It's really cool. You know, it says in Hebrews 11.4, Abel, though he be dead, yet he still speaks. And it's your father speaking today through you, right to us today, still impacting lives. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? That's awesome. I want you to remember these three words. Sense of urgency. Nobody knows how long you have. Nobody knows how much more time you got. Over every head, over here, here is a countdown clock. Every one of us are counting down. We don't know when the last moment's coming. So we need to live as though we were in there, right? I mean, we need to live that way. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we're leaving here tonight 
with on the one side a peace in our heart knowing that you affirm us and love us and saying well done to us but on the other side Lord that life is short the moments are short and Lord we want to make the impact now not later now so help us to live that way in Jesus name everybody said amen look give your neighbor a high five meet us here tomorrow at noon for prayer tomorrow night's going to be awesome and if you got kids next door, you better get them quick or we're going to let them out in the parking lot. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.